What's your favorite metal band? Death Clock from Metalocalypse. I mean, I think that's a. You might be. Jo- I don't know. Are you joking? Are a little bit. I mean, joke? they're but, really good. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's actually like a solid answer. <laughs> no, I. Right now, my favorite is either. I'm really into like uh, like doom metal lately, so and like stoner metal. So I've been listening to Electric Wizard and, apropos for this movie, Ghost a bunch lately. Nice. Yeah, I really love Ghost. I've seen him twice, and it was fucking awesome. I love it because it's just like he's a demon pope who ages backwards. I love that. I love that concept. I'm very confused by that concept, but I love it. Dave Grohl played with him a few times. I believe it. Yeah, they're really fun. All of his, uh, the rest of the band is just demons and they all wear identical masks. So you don't know, like no one else is important. It's just the demon pope. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so good. You should listen to them. And also if you get a chance to see them live, do. It's a great show. Nice. Yeah. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Ghost of Mars? You mean the 2001 American science fiction action horror film written, directed, and scored by John Carpenter? Goddamn right I do. (laughs) Yeah, folks, this is four out of five of our Soundtracks That Slap month. We've got one more coming up after this, so thank you for joining us for number four out of five. Mm -hmm. I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Accurate. And we'll be following our normal format today. Just in case you don't know what that is, I'm going to let you know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) So Topher will take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew, and then I'll take us through the plot, and then we will analyze said plot in our third installment. But before we launch into all of that, do we have any horror news this week? Yeah, and it sucks. Uh Uh-oh. Fuck, they canceled Karen Kusama's Dracula movie. What? Yep, pulled the plug on it this week. Like two days ago. I am livid. I quit. Yeah. I I'm quit. Not, this podcast is over. Bye, y'all. It's been I, real fun. I, I don't want to be associated with the horror genre anymore. I quit. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, her husband and his writing partner had a dope script together. It was the production title was Mina Harker um, and Knowing Kusama. Like, she's got, she's a zero misdirector. And there's they, they wrote her last two movies. They wrote um, The Invitation, which is great, even though it's not one of my favorites. It's great. Uh, And they wrote Destroyer, which is awesome, which was her most recent one. So, like, that's two for two. And Karen Kusama is, again, a zero-miss director. So how? How? Oh, man. I'm so... I'm not happy. I love that it was going to focus on Mina Harker, too, because she actually is a very interesting character. Self-love much? I know. I might be biased, (laughs) but I think she's wonderful. No, I do, too. I really like it. But, um we'll see um the other news is we did i don't think we touched on this last week but we got a new cronenberg trailer and uh-oh <laughs> it's cronenberg as fuck yeah yeah i haven't i haven't watched it yet i've watched it twice and i am terrified i love david cronenberg but oh god oh god <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's really all we have on news it's just me being very upset that we are not getting a karen kusaba dracula movie yeah, that sucks. Yeah. It's the worst news I've heard all week, TBH. Sorry about it. Yeah. With that said, let's have some fun, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. This movie's fun, so let's have some fun. Yeah. All right. So I guess on that note, Topher, who made this thing? John Carpenter. And I'm oh, right this find, week. you finally I, <laughs> <laughs> It's finally, finally the correct answer. <laughs> right. You win. Yes. 
we don't have that many more Carpenter movies to cover, honestly. <laughs> We've covered most of his horror films. I mean, I think, he's still alive. Yeah, he's just... Well, we'll get into it, but this movie kind of made him be like, nah, man, I'm not directing anymore. Fuck y'all. He could still come back. I don't know. Yeah, he did The Ward a few years after this. Um, I haven't gotten around to that one, but yeah. I think it's the only one of his I haven't seen. So, like you said, John Carpenter wrote, directed composed this movie his co-writer on this was larry sulkis who had been a crew member on they live but didn't hasn't had much of a career outside of that yeah um it was produced by his second wife who is he's still married to sandy king um this is a storm king productions film (laughs) storm king love it he's john carpenter is like christopher lee in that they're just like cute granddads who you're kind of sure could kill you yeah, that's Christopher Lee, I'm 100 percent sure could kill me. Yeah, uh, I, I even from the grave. Yeah, I wouldn't want to find find them. in yeah. a graveyard. <laughs> um, so our cast is Natasha Henstridge as Lieutenant Mar- Melanie Ballard. Uh, she's in another. She was in Species One and Two. I don't know if she was in Three or not. I never saw it, um, but I know she's in the first two. Um, but she's in another movie that I adore, even though everybody seems to think it sucks whole nine yards it's kind of funny that she started out playing an alien like in species and now she's like trying to kill them Mm -hmm. full circle betrayal i guess (laughs) went from yeah it's in a different universe so is it really betrayal who can say i don't know we have splitting hairs at this point right we have none none other than ice cube as desolation williams best name a arch criminal Jason Statham as Sergeant Jericho Butler. Who sounds like Billy Idol for no reason. That's just how Jason Statham sounds. I know, but I I, I kept trying to place, like, why does he sound like someone, and I'm going to bring up my favorite movie now. He sounds like, I was like, he sounds like someone in The Wedding Singer, and I was like, oh, it's Billy Idol in The Wedding Singer. (laughs) Uh, We have Clea Duvall as Bashira Kincaid, one of the rookies. Pam fucking Greer as Commander... Helena Braddock. Pam Greer's my favorite. She's amazing. All hell Pam Pam Greer. Uh, in everything and everything she's ever done. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Joanna Cassidy as Whitlock. I was like trying to place where I knew her from, and it was uh, Blade Runner and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Citrone as Big Daddy Mars. Fuck yeah. The head ghost boy. Marilyn Manson lookalike <laughs> motherfucker. I was going to go Orokai from Lord of the Rings, but yeah. Big Daddy Mars. I Nobody just, cares about Lord of the Rings. Shut up. I Rude. It's the last day of Aries season. I'm like on fire. <laughs> so yeah, as I said, John Carpenter did do the score. He also hired one of his favorite metal bands to help him with Anthrax. it. Anthrax. Yep. And he also had some other um, cameos here, too. It wasn't just Anthrax. Yeah, no. Um, Steve Vai, Buckethead, Robin Fink, who plays with Nine Inch Nails. Yep. Elliot Easton, Bruce Rott. Like, it's there's so many good, fucking amazing people on this soundtrack. It so is in just... case you haven't watched this movie or, you know, you haven't explored this soundtrack, you can probably imagine exactly what it sounds like. It's all of these people... Pretty much putting their expertise to good to good it's, use. It's a bunch of virtuosic guitar players because you've got, because um, like I said, yeah, you've got Steve Vai, Buckethead, Scott Ian, and Robin Fink, a guy who played for Guns N' Roses and for 
Nine Inch Nails. Like, I'm sorry, you just you just looked at this and said, yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that if I could be a fly on any wall, I think it would be fascinating to see, like, this studio atmosphere mm-hmm. and them just, like, recording all of this. Yeah. Like, I think it would be a lot of fun to watch them just be like, oh, that? Okay, let's do that, but let's do it more. Because these guys are all more guys. Well, <laughs> it feels very... Um, so this whole soundtrack, and we'll obviously get into this later, the whole soundtrack kind of just feels like a jam sesh. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Well, just with like all these, you know, like metalheads just, just doing a jam sesh. And, and having the most metal fun. Metal legends. So yeah. it, that's that's what's really fun about this. But again, we'll get into that in our third installment. So yeah. continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last thing I'm going to, well, last person I'm going to mention in the crew is the cinematographer, um, Gary B. Kibbe. He actually just died a couple years ago, which is sad. Um, but he shot, he shot with Carpenter forever. Um, they live, Escape from L.A., Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Uh, he shot so many good things. Um, he was the DP on A Few Good Men. Yeah. Like, he uh, worked on Stand By Me. Like, he's just he's just a dude who just did a bunch of really great work. He's just work. a dude. And he shot some really cool stuff. Like, <laughs> And he's got a fun shooting style. So, yeah, the movie runs a nice tight 98 minutes with credits. Um, it opens with some cool narration, <laughs> which is always, I always love narration in movies. I don't know why, mm-hmm. like just starting with narration is just like, all right, we're in for a ride. Well, a lot of it's flashbacks, so you kind of need yeah. the narration to set it up. Yeah. Um, it was a nice 28 million, um, for the budget, uh, but people hated it and it didn't do well at the box office making 14 million back. So it's yeah. one of those things of like, I don't know, it it makes me it makes me sad because I love this movie. <laughs> it's just one of those things that I think we we'll talk about this later too. But I think people just kind of gave up on Carpenter at some point, right? So, um, yeah, that's more or less what I have to say for now. We can get into more of my nerd shit later. But what the fuck happens? Um, a lot of nothing. But I'll try to make some sense of this. <laughs> um, so it's set in the second half of the twenty second century. And Mars is basically has like an Earth-like atmosphere now. Near um, enough, it's yeah. livable. It's 84 percent terraformed, whatever the fuck that mm-hmm. means. Um, sorry, I don't know nerdy science shit. I wish I did. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm a musical theater major. What do you want me to do? Um, <laughs> Martian society has become matriarchal. <laughs> the ladies are running it. The ladies are running it. Um, John Carpenter, feminist. Um, and (laughs) not quite, but he's getting there more or less, more or less. He's probably the least of our worries. We'll just say that in the film industry. (laughs) So we're, we're essentially in, we're in this city called crisis. Yes. Like the plural of crisis. Yeah. Crisis. (laughs) Crisis. Um, with smaller, far reaching outposts connected by an expansive network of trains, which LOL trains. (laughs) lol it is just funny to see a futuristic normally you have like a space station or you have like at least spaceships to get from place to place but fucking trains i love it if in the 22nd century we have not moved past the mta (laughs) i am just like i know i'll be dead then anyway but like if i wasn't for some reason just someone kill me like if we have not moved past the fucking mta there's a point in this movie where they're trying to escape 
and they they're like go go like on the and fucking the train, train and the late. train says the train yeah the train says says like we're chugging along but we're going as slow as possible like <laughs> this train is going express no it ain't no it ain't <laughs> it, it Oh my god, it's like when the C train's like, we're going express, but we're behind an A train, so we can't actually go express. We're like just putzing around here. I turned to you and I was like, what MT- Like what New York subway train do you think that you would actually survive this? Like if you had to get on one. I said the D train. Yeah, I... Maybe the A train. The A train's my close second. The 2-3 as well. Any other train, fuck it. You're dead. Yeah, I would say 2-3. The 2-3 comes every five to seven minutes. On the dot has never done me wrong. Goes express from 72nd to 42nd. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. The only problem would be it goes local in Brooklyn. That's fine. So, anyway. Um, this has been sorry MTA for, talk. I know. Sorry for our non-New Yorkers out there. Um, the trains are garbage. Anyway, of course, like any other horror film, there's a series of mysterious incidents. Yeah, like the uh, this they find this ghost train, like it's on autopilot. It's just uh, it's just our our hero lady giving me Hey Arnold vibes. <laughs> That's one of my favorite episodes. That's how I knew I was a weirdo. Um, yeah, so it's our our sort of protagonist of the movie, uh, Melanie Ballard. Uh, she's handcuffed, high, and. Uh, is is missing the prisoner that she was supposed to be transporting and her entire crew. Yes. So they're like something happened. What's going on? Yeah, so their their mission was to to um go to Shining Canyon to get um James Desolation Williams who we said was played by is played by Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. Um and but she's apparently the sole survivor. Very confusing. Yeah. Um through a series of flashbacks and then flashbacks within flashbacks. <laughs> this is kind of, it's a little tough to um, figure it out when you're watching it. But anyway, um, we've got all these new perspectives that are being kind of incorporated into the, narr- the narrative. We've got Ballard who recounts her mission to Shining Canyon. And then we've got um, Helena Braddock who's played by Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Jericho Butler, Billy Idol. Um, and then rookie officers, Bashira Kincaid. And then Michael um, Descanso. And then Ballard arrives at Shining Canyon to find the town seemingly deserted. And then she's investigating the town's jail and discovers a trio of individuals who appear to have sealed themselves into one of the cells. And then among them is Dr. Arlene Whitlock, who is um, a science person. Um, (laughs) A scientist. Why couldn't I think of that word? Help. So Ballard and Butler discover um, a lot of disoriented minors and including an escaped desolation. Mm-hmm. Um, the the group are attacked by several of the minors, forcing Ballard and Desolation to band together and incapacitate them, which is the start of their really bizarre flirting style, you guys. I love it. I this, love it. This sexual tension between them is the most awkward I think I've ever encountered. Their flirting style is so strange. But I kind of feel like they'd probably have some pretty kinky sex. I'd be down for it. They're like very like, I hate you. I hate you, but I like, you're kind of hot. Why do I love you though? Yeah, like why do I love you? Like I'm kind of obsessed with you, but like I also fucking hate you. Like it's, <laughs> it's that a, whole It's a tension. real enemies to lovers storyline. Yeah. It's, yeah. Classic anime. 
<laughs> yes. And then Ballard is forced to shoot and kill one of them, which causes their affliction to be passed on to one of the three survivors. Yeah, we've got an interesting camera technique here where we have this sort of like red and gray haze over the filter and it like vibrates a little bit and you just hear sort of like a noise <laughs> and they uh it, you'll then you'll see like someone one of the uh people be possessed by it and go <gasps> and like like a few hours later they're like what are my hands and then a couple hours after that they're like i'm gonna cut off your hands cute yeah and then <laughs> um so then butler ventures out to the edge of town um, in pursuit of one of the feral miners. Feral is one of my favorite fucking words. It's great. Because it sounds exactly like what it means. Yeah, it does really give away. It's uh, it does, It's not a false friend at all. Yeah. My favorite usage of it is when someone calls like a baby or like a child feral. Because <laughs> like they, sometimes it's just kind of like, yeah, you don't know any better. You are a little feral. <laughs> um. That's one of my favorite usages of that word. I love it. <laughs> so he discovers a row of severed heads, cute, mounted on spikes, of course, and then including the head of Commander Braddock and... And we get to watch this uh, crazy person just smacking the head onto the spike. Yes. It's visceral. No, I love the crazy person. Again, feral. I want someone to call me feral. Later, dear. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Um, and then a large assembly in the canyon below committing horrific acts of self-mutilation and ritualistic execution. God, words are amazing. I love all of those <laughs> words put together. Feral and then horrific acts of self-mutilation and ritualistic execution. Here for it. Fuck me up, man. This is why I love horror. These words just make me giggle. Um, <laughs> and then... Um, which, can we talk about, like, when a really awesome creative kill happens and you just have to, like, giggle? Yeah. Like, am I am I crazy for no, that? No, no. You and I both do this. Like, it's just, like, That's you see kind a creative of joy... kill and you're like, oh, fuck yeah. Because you know it's not real, right? Like, I feel like people who dislike horror sometimes kind of see it in the more realistic light. And we're just like, damn, they got creative with that sadistic yeah. shit. Yeah, it's just, you, you have to respect the art. I mean, man, there have been. That's one of my favorite things is when there's just such a creative kill that you either did not see coming or you knew it was going to happen, but you did not know how it was going to happen. And mm -hmm. then it's the most creative, brutal kill, and you just have to start giggling. Maybe yeah. it's out of being uncomfortable a little bit, but it's. Sure, oh man. but it's dope. Completely. And then Desolation's associates arrive and force Ballard and Butler to release him. So, yeah, there's this weird bit where, like, Butler. They pull him in to this little shack that they're hiding in. Um, they're like, okay, he didn't see him. And they're like, we just, we're just miners. He's like, do you have guns? He's like, they're feral like, oh miners. No, they're not feral miners. They're pretending to be regular miners who are not feral. But they're like... It's very convoluted. Well, fair enough, but they're not feral. I'm trying to be fair. Not feral. Uh, but yeah, they, it's <laughs> these three dudes, and they're like, only cops are allowed to have guns. And he's like, damn. So they go out, they get to back to the, the what do they call it? Uh, RecFAC, the <laughs> recreation facilities. RecFAC? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And they, he's like, yeah, they found these guys, but they're, they're good. And then they just like whip off their uh, 
trench coats in the dopest way and just the three of them all pointing guns at all these cops and they're like yeah we're gonna need our friend released <laughs> i thought it was gonna turn into magic mike oh if only could you imagine if like the movie was one way and then they just rip off their trench coats and they're like now we're gonna strip for you <laughs> it's, it's just a weird bachelorette party, party. <laughs> yeah like could you imagine that's a movie i'm gonna write Nice. It starts off as a horror movie, ends as a sexy dance number. Listen, or or vice versa. I mean, that's kind of already been done. Yeah. But I, maybe if I flip it. Yeah. It's like the... It's I'm the, clearly it, the next it's the rever- It's the reverse of du- From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Because Selma Hayek dances sexy with a snake and then it's kill a bunch of vampires. You know, I think... God, I want to watch that movie again. It's so good. I think I'm the next Carpenter. Mark you, my fucking words, you guys. Bet. Um, and then while they originally plan on leaving the officers and and the remaining miners to die left them for dead ballard convinces them to work together to survive yeah let's band together guys we're all in this together okay now that i hate myself um their initial effort to escape is halted when the army of feral miners converge on their position killing injuring and infecting several of their people's and then, including Uno, who we find out is Desolation's brother. Oh, oh I, there's the but there is the really funny death. It's um, it's either Dose or Trace. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's Dose, but the guy who has the the uh, huge, gross lip piercing and uh, chin strip, of course, who just starts getting real high, and he's trying to show. Uh, they're like making uh, uh like little grenades out of food cans and he's trying to show this uh sexy lady how to like open the top of it and he's just like oh yeah and he like flips the machete and then chops through it and you just feel and you're like he chopped off his thumb and you look down and you're like he chopped off his thumb and everybody starts laughing at him <laughs> and then he, he keeps getting high during the battle and then they just fuck him up and it's just like yeah dude why did you go into battle stoned to shit? This movie is crazy. I love it. Um, and then confronted by Ballard, Whitlock eventually explains that she fled from her post after discovering an ancient underground vault created by an extinct Martian civilization. Bitch, could you not have told us this a little bit earlier? Also, white people need to stop opening doors. Literally. Literally. Like, That's the real lesson of this movie. Just leave, it, leave it the fuck alone. This is why I'm so excited about Jordan Peele's Nope. Because, again, he's explained that, like, so many of these horror films would not happen if it were black people in this situation. Because yeah. white people are too curious and... Just feel like they... Feel are, like they own everything. Feel like they're safe everywhere they are. Yeah, exactly. Nothing bad can happen to me. I'm invincible. I'm a colonizer. Yes. So they open doors. They open books. They 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 do all the all this like unhinged. To be honest, read the shit. passages. Like bitch, no. So that's why I am so excited about that movie. I keep saying it, but it just keeps yeah. coming up. So um, June. I know. Um, when the door to the vault was open, it released hostile spirits or ghosts. Which again, stop opening fucking doors. <laughs> Leave shit alone. If it isn't yours, don't fucking touch it. There we go. Should have learned that in kindergarten. Seriously. Um, which took possession of the workers, causing their violent behavior. Duh. Um, and then killing a possessed human merely releases the Martian spirit to possess another host so it doesn't work. 
Um, and then Ballad surmises that these Martian spirits believe humans to be an invading race, which... They are. Yeah. They're literally colonizing yeah. Mars. Yep. Quite literally. And then um, Ballard is briefly possessed. I'm team alien, always. Until yeah. Desolation feeds her a hallucinogenic drug, which forces the Martian spirit to leave her body. Which is one she does already. Like, she's she pops pills. Like, that's one of the first scenes in the movie. Um, once we get to the flashback, is P- uh, Pam Greer hitting on her and being real gross about it. This movie is chaotic. It is. It's a fantastic movie. <laughs> Um, the group, they're forced to flee as the possessed workers breach the jail, leaving only Ballard, Desolation, Butler, Kincaid, and Whitlock left alive. That's a lot of people left alive, let me be honest. But we went from like 15 to 5. We're down 30%. Or down to 30%. Okay, Mr. Math Man. Um, Go sing a song. I will, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're able to make it to the train because the train goes so fucking slow. If you miss this train, I don't know how what to <laughs> like. It's it's just natural selection at that point. Um, that's like that's like missing the C train. <laughs> no, um, Ballard realizes that they. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, non-New Yorkers. Once again, I'm really sorry. I just I have I take the train every single day of my godforsaken life, and I have. A lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> Ballard realizes that they have a duty to exterminate the Martian threat and decide, I, I mean, thanks to Whitlock, yeah. and decide to return to Shining Canyon to overload the outpost's nuclear power plant, assuming that the ensuing atomic blast will vaporize the spirits. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> bestie. Well, because um, like, Whitlock is like, they must be like microbial organisms, right? Like, that just possess you. Like that... Um, that fungus that invades ants' brains and makes them climb up to, like, trees and it's really creepy. Sure. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Sure. I just like talking about that fungus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, while they're able to initiate the meltdown, Whitlock is possessed, while Butler, Kincaid, and the two train operators are killed. Liz- Uh-oh. Lizzie McGuire's dad is the last one Lizzie McGuire's dad is in this, you guys. <laughs> I was like, oh... Lizzie McGuire's dad is dead. Man, Clea Duvall, when she, like, I knew it. It was gonna, I knew it was gonna be a one, two, three beat. She goes, duck, duck, because they have these, like, weird discs that they, like, throw at people. But yeah, she goes, duck, duck, and she's like, yeah, and then goose hits. (laughs) Oh my God. Takes her head right off. And then the final people we don't even just have one the final people are boarding to the train the two watch as the army is engulfed in the explosion desolation tends to ballard's wounds in a very flirtatious weird way yeah um once again unwilling to face the authorities he handcuffs ballard to her cot and leaves again you guys it's hot (laughs) um ballard moves to shoot him but realizes her respect for him and lets him go to make his escape just like, I don't know how to quit you. It's a very weird start to a porn. Um, <laughs> space porn. <laughs> I love it. And then resting after her tribunal, Ballard is awoken by an alert that the city is under attack. rut And then realizing their attempt to destroy the spirits failed, she readies herself to face the onslaught alone until she is greeted by Desolation, who hands her a weapon. The two agree to fight their way out of the city together. Amazing. I do want to shout out the final fight on the train with Big Daddy 
uh, Big Daddy Mars and a nice little homage to Wes Craven with the guy with the Freddy Krueger hand. Just love all these nerds just putting references to each other in their movies. Oh, yeah. Like, because <laughs> you've got Raimi, Craven, uh, Cronenberg, uh, like all, and, and Carpenter, all of them just being like, hey, 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 buddy, look what I did in my new movie. See? That's you. <laughs> just a whole lot of nerds. Yeah, this movie is unhinged. In the best way. Like, I, I, yeah. Yeah, this movie is so chaotic. I don't even, I don't even really know where to begin. <laughs> To be honest, um, I guess we could start with why this movie wasn't received well. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, this movie really took a hit at the box office and was really like critics went off on it and were just like, "This movie sucks. It's awful. Like, I can't believe that this is a John Carpenter movie. Like, all that shit." Well, we definitely, I mean, first of all, you can believe this is a John Carpenter movie because guess what? It's the same exact structure as the rest of all of his movies, Halloween as the one exception. And the thing, yeah. No, because no. It, is, it is people stuck in a oh, specific shit. space being confronted. The conflict is with this unknown something. Oh shit, it is a thing. Okay. Damn. Nicely and done. And it's the fog. It's it like yes, you can definitely imagine that this is a John Carpenter Escape from film. New York, Escape from LA. Even Assault on Precinct 13. Yep. People trapped in an in some sort of enclosed space with with a um greater force or unknown thing as their um antagonist. Yeah. Like, okay. Yes, this is a John Shit. Carpenter film up and down. <laughs> yes, it's set in a different spot. And yes, he played with some things. And I think he honestly was trying to... This movie is very 90s, early 2000s to me. Like, yeah. with the style. So I think he was trying to update kind of like his style, which is what everyone was wanting him to do. Mm-hmm. So I think he kind of just got fucked over by it. Um, because, like, what we were talking about this morning... Um, where I was saying, like, I think in the 70s and the 80s, we were kind of down for this, like, playful, like, slasher, there's a monster on the loose, like, sort of horror that was campy in its own way, not, like, full camp, but definitely yeah. campy. And, but, like, you know, They Live, we've covered that. It's a fucking camp movie. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It's, like, a political... Um, it's a political satire, satire that has a that's camp. Campy. Like, there's a six and a half minute fist fight in an alleyway. So I think something happened when we hit that turn of like 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. um, especially with um, so, so, people were craving something that felt more real and felt maybe more like a psychological thriller type sure. as opposed to this co- sort of like campy leaning um horror film that you know you know it's not rooted in reality but you're still along for the ride i think people were more resistant to be along for said ride that's where we got um some of our beloved movies as well like like blair witch um or blair witch project i should say not Mm -hmm. yeah not blair witch that's like the bad weird sequel thing um but you know what i mean though people were looking for something to be like realistically scared by sure um things that were more rooted in reality and that's not john carpenter's forte that's not his thing haha um (laughs) that's you know uh, and so i think that that's where the struggle came from where 
you know, maybe he should have stayed in his lane, but people weren't accepting of what he was making because, you know, trends, trends come and go and, and it's all, it's all cyclical. Right. And I think that in the same way that despite whether the music of, you know, our parents' generation is good, we're going to think it's lame. Sure. You know, like it's that sort of um, generational thing where you're like, oh, my parents are into it, then it's definitely lame. So the pendulum swings the other way. Right. And then it maybe meets halfway or swings back that other way in that cyclical fashion. Yeah, it's how we go from disco to grunge and then from... To grunge disco. Yeah. (laughs) Mitski? (laughs) Oh, yes. That's why I love her so much because I love both grunge and disco. Yeah, but I, I like what you're saying because like the 90s was a lot of these very grounded movies that were, they're absurd on the face of them, but they felt grounded in the way they were shot. So I'm thinking of, and they weren't horror films, but they filled that hole. Yeah. Because you get Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Seven. Mm-hmm. Memento. Yeah. Um, Cruel Intentions. Yeah. Like I'm, that's what I'm thinking of is like this very like, gra- like it's ridiculous when you look at it closely but it's like no this is a dark this is a dark meditative movie you know yeah people wanted that sort of like broody darkness um and and i they didn't want that like scream queen thing we've now come Except back for scream <laughs> yeah we've now come back around to um i mean there's always exceptions to the rule right yeah exactly um, we've come back around to like really being interested in scream queens and really being interested in that idea of the final girl yeah but that didn't come until you know um uh like 10 years after this movie came out um, where we, where we had like it follows and movies like that, where we had another final girl and then midsummer. Yeah. We, you know, those are the grounded version of it. Yeah. So again, we met in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I think it's kind of, this movie was just like weirdly like wrong time. And it, it kind of used, so I do think that at a certain point, directors get enough credibility to where they can kind of just like go off the walls yeah. and can kind of just like throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks. And it, I think it's really unfortunate that people had such terrible things to say about this movie where it's like, OK, OK, guys, calm down. He has proven himself as a director, as someone of substance, of someone who can like rake in the money at the box office. Can we just relax that he had this, you know, well, and that's the thing. He's always been a box office failure. Other than Halloween, I think that's the only one he's did, he did that ever made money money. That's true. That's true. But I don't know. But Halloween, I feel like, kind of made up for a lot of the other stuff. I think it's where he kept getting deals, but he also lost a lot because the thing plummeted and it killed his career in the 80s. Yeah, that's true. Because he was, like, the, there's a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to uh, lost or unrealized John Carpenter projects. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. This, I mean, this is definitely, I'm not going to sit here saying like this is a masterpiece. Um, I think it's super silly and fun, and I don't think that it takes itself too seriously. I mean, it knows exactly what it is. I mean, he. He's a huge fan of the people that he cast in his movies. He's a huge fan of Ice Cube, but he knew exactly what he was doing by casting Ice Cube as... And by naming a character Big Daddy Mars. Come on, you guys. Or Desolation Williams. Yeah, that's the name that was escaping me. That's what I meant to tie that to, is that... like, like. he knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't taking himself too seriously. And he named the movie. He said this himself. Sorry. He's like, I have no power over what critics say, but when people complained about the movie being campy and not scary, 
And he takes this like breath. He goes, the name of the movie is Ghosts of Mars. I figured the campiness would be self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> that is the bit that is the best way he could have said fuck you. Literally, it's people and that's that's kind of that ties into what I what what I'm saying about how analytical people got in the nineties and early two thousands. Yeah. You can those kind of like meld together in a way because this just came out in 2001 it wasn't yeah. like 2010 or 2013 like no. it came out right after the 90s yeah um, it was the turn of the millennium yeah exactly so like we got all of these like weird space movies because people were really interested in that after like the turn of the millennium this and is everything when we had like event horizon came out a couple years before this sunshine it's right? a couple of years after this yeah, yeah it's 2007 but yeah yeah Close enough. Uh, 2000 what? to th- 2010 is kind of the range that I'm kind of looking at. Yeah, or even just like that 10-year span, because like I think Event Horizon is 97, but it's uh, it, this yeah. I- idea of exploring horror in space Yeah, totally. was a big deal then, because we were thinking about spaces, we are thinking about the new millennium, yeah. the year 2000. Like. And that's what was going to kind of scare people. It was the unknown. That's what we were kind of, we turned our focus to it. You even got um, Jason in space during this period. Right, yeah. Everyone just put everyone in space. We probably got Muppets <laughs> in space. I don't we know. Did, there's literally a movie called Muppets in Space. It no, I know that. that. Oh, oh, yeah. I know Sorry. that. I just don't remember when it actually came out. I think it was 99. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's one of the best Muppets. Um, and I'm Treasure Island forever, but it's because I'm real horny for Tim Curry. That's fair. Um, it's when you're a professional pirate. <laughs> you don't have to wear a shoe. But yeah, I mean, it's... But yeah, aside... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. This... You know, I think it's stroke. We're staying on theme here um, with this movie being unhinged. We're a little unhinged after watching it. So aside from just the ridiculousness of this movie and it kind of just feels like he threw a bunch of stuff at a wall and like there's there's aside from the very basic frame of this movie it's the narrative is really convoluted and very confusing because it is flashbacks and flashbacks within flashbacks yeah and then you continue to just get different um uh perspectives from the different characters layered into that so it's it's really it's really not a movie that you need to be sitting there being like following the narrative necessarily. And also yeah. you should not watch this movie expecting to be attached to the characters whatsoever. Yeah. Um, Don't look for meaning in a movie called Ghosts of Mars. No, it's very silly. And so, and now I'm going to tie this into like the soundtrack. And yeah, everything. let's go. So we've got this really awesome, um, metal soundtrack here it happens in the fight scenes it happens in the sentimental or more sentimental you don't really get too sentimental here but you know what i mean where the characters are quote-unquote connecting or i guess at least devising a plan you get it you know it's it's throughout the movie and it's the same genre it's kind of again it feels like a jam sesh it's kind of just riffing you know like like your traditional jam sesh with um a bunch of just metal superstars like virtuosos too like the people who are known for how good they are at guitar exactly and he, it's kind of like i feel like they just got into the studio and he said okay go off yeah i'm just like- gonna record the whole thing and then we'll fix it in post <laughs> um so with that being said it definitely adds to just like the ridiculousness of the movie and just the complete chaos of the movie because so um, traditionally in movies, we've said here before when we've talked about like soundtracks, it is there to make you feel the feeling that the director and writer intended you to feel it. It, it aids in you feeling that more intensely or it gets you there sometimes, right? right? It This 
there's not really much um, emotional nuance in this film, so the music doesn't have much emotional nuance. Yeah. And that's fine, honestly, because normally when we think of film scores, like I said, when it's a sad moment, you get sad music. When it's like a let's fucking go, you get, you know, um, I don't know. A lot of bre- so like the sad moments you're gonna have slow soft strings maybe a bit of flute, maybe like a slow like a like a real legato piano or like a pensive moment yeah yeah and then in the let's get going moments you're gonna have big brass hits and drums and like to get you pumped yeah because because music helps us feel things so mm-hmm. um or causes us to feel things it's an emotive experience and and endeavor yeah. So how this soundtrack is different from most film scores, I would argue, is that, again, it is the same thing over and over again. You don't get peaks and valleys here. You get just straight up, straight out the gate, like the loudest metal, the Mm -hmm. and it's great. It's expertly done. Like it is done by experts is what I mean to say. Um, And. So it is honestly just like it's it's the best you're going to you're going to get from this but it is all quite literally one dynamic. Yeah. Throughout the entire film and I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that this is what sets it apart from other films where you get those peaks and valleys and you get a little bit of the nuance but here's where John Carpenter kind of gets the last laugh here because People are saying like, oh, it's like this movie's not good. There's nothing like going on, blah, blah, blah. There's no narrative. It's confusing. It's convoluted. Sure, it is. But where he's getting the last laugh, though, is that he's consistent throughout the entire thing. Yeah. There's no confusion about what this movie was to him. Not even an ounce of it, because through the music, through the development or lack thereof of the characters, through the hilarity of naming a character Desolation Williams and Big Daddy Mars... Um, and then the naming. Get I'm gonna get that tattoo to my body. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. It's gonna go on my headstone. Just Big Daddy Mars. Big Daddy Mars. And then it just there's a through line of just like throwing shit at the wall, and the the turbo volume is is set to ten. Oh, the it's, entire the, time. These go to eleven. Is what he said. Yeah. <laughs> like and the, like the camp of it just all fits. The camp of getting a guy who goes by Buckethead and literally wears a bucket on his head to be a part of this soundtrack. That sells me a lot of things. Or how tell, tell you this? Why don't we just read through the names of the tracks? Yeah, do it. Ghosts of Mars, sure. Love Siege, Fight Train, Slashing Gash, Kick Ass. Can't let you go, which is the funniest one <laughs> compared to the rest. Dismemberment blues. Yep. Uh, fighting mad. Pam Greer's head and ghost popping. Yeah, like, like guys. <laughs> what did you think this was supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, when you look, when you look at a at a movie. You can't you can't try to compare apples and oranges here. Yeah. You can't like this is not even I this is this is a fucking kiwi. Like you can't <laughs> you know you I think that's where people people got it got it wrong. Like I think this is a perfectly enjoyable movie if you're looking for something super campy, super silly where you're gonna the second that they start fighting this Marilyn Manson lookalike with an underscore 
Which it kind of sounds silly to call it an underscore because it is very much it's so the only face. thing going on. <laughs> it's in your um, face. <laughs> uh, of this just like slap your face metal. Um, how are you trying to take that seriously? Yeah. At what I'm point sorry. Does, at what point did it ask you to? That's what I'm. Yeah. I think that's where people kind of got this misinterpreted, misunderstood this movie where I don't know. I think it I think it does serve like a very silly purpose. And I do think that it is unfortunate that John Carpenter got a lot of like flack for this. Well, he quit movies for fucking nine years. He didn't direct again until 2010. Yeah. He was like, you know what? Y'all Fuck really you. hurt I'm this out. man. Yeah. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let him be just like his weird. Because I, I love it. I love that he's. I love that he's into what I'm into. His two <laughs> favorite things are um, horror movies and, and music. Yeah. And he's melding the two. He just did that project with churches. Yeah, um, it was so good. So I and then he's in Studio Six 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 for like a minute um, as like the producer. Mm-hmm. So like I think it's really fun that he's kind of taking on just like these projects that he firmly believes in or just just has fun with it because he's not he's the opposite of like these money making machines where they're making maybe not so great movies but it's selling at the box office. He's honestly right. taking on projects that I feel at least that he's deeply passionate about. And I think that this has, this is a little bit of like a niche here. I think that he probably realized that a lot of horror fans are also really into metal. And he's like, what if we like took the two and then like threw everyone in space? Yeah. You know, like I, I appreciate that sort of those, you know, cojones, Mm -hmm. like fucking do it. I'm with you. I think that's why you and I both love Raimi and Carpenter so much because they say, Hey guys, these are fucking movies. Have fun with it. Yeah, like they don't all have to be cerebral. Yeah, not every movie has to be like a cinematic masterpiece in the way that like the Academy considers it. They've never even tried to make a movie for the Academy. They're like, no, I'm gonna make a movie where a bunch of people die in a cabin and there's a giant purple monster at the end that sucks him in and he ends up in the Crusades. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna make a movie where I don't know. Uh, some some orc from Lord of the Rings runs around putting heads on spikes to metal music, and I it's gonna be homage to fucking Mad Max. Yeah, like, it feels like it feels like Mad Max. It does. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's great. Do that. Yeah, we need those filmmakers. That's what makes me mad. Like we need these filmmakers. The people who go outside of the box in many different ways. Outside outside of the box, as in you know, like just covering some completely ridiculous stuff and then people who go outside of the box just being like yeah i had this idea we're just gonna do it so adam mckay with comedy and the way he approaches drama like i love adam mckay i think he does a really good job with everything he does and it's because he's like no what if it was just fun yeah (laughs) yeah and what if movies were enjoyable yeah, and sort of you know to to kind of uh start to wrap us up here the reason why I wanted to look at this theme through this lens of this specific movie is that it is a little bit hard to choose movies under this theme right now because most we're a little we're drawn to movies that have really great soundtracks so we've covered a lot of movies yeah. that we could have you know like we uh a lot of movies that we've already covered have soundtracks that slap. Sure. So, um, including or you know mostly you know John John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, he just has this 
he has this great ear and also this playfulness with music to tie it to his narratives or his lack thereof narratives. Because you can kind of think of this jam session feeling of like what's going on. Jam sessions don't really have narratives, right? Right. Neither does this movie. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of are a match made in heaven, right? So he just was like, let's go. We have nothing to tie this to. Let's just fucking go. So this movie is different from everything else that we've covered this month because Studio 666 was tied to the soundtrack because the soundtrack was the first thing that happened, right? Right. Like, it's the reason that the movie exists. Yeah. And then you've got Under the Skin where the soundtrack specifically lines up with the emotion and of our of our lead character. Yeah, it's built to support the narrative. Yes. What narrative there is, yeah. And then you've got Suspiria, which is maybe a little bit closer to this where it's more of an undercurrent, but it was almost set up like a musical where everyone kind of had their theme in a way and it was sure, this undercurrent yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where you know you knew that something horror uses this often and jaws is a really wonderful um fantastic one yeah. wonderful exa- example of this when something bad's gonna happen you hear the dunna yeah dunna. you hear that suspenseful music and that's kind of what suspiria did whenever there was going to be a death we heard footloose and <laughs> <laughs> um and then this one apart from that just was the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe some different themes, some different artists going in and and just riffing, showing their their stuff, showing yeah. their expertise, which I think is just as valid. And that's why this is such an interesting lens to look at this through, where music can do so many things for a film. And in this one, it just it just keeps your energy level high. It just keeps you pumped. Yeah, You're like, says, what's going to ha- happen it says, next? Let's have a good fucking let's time. Let's have a good fucking time. And that's also a huge part of music. Mm-hmm. Let's have a good fucking time. And this is, so, I love how this, this this one really does, like we talk about things tying in with a theme and that's what I was pointing out when we were talking about the soundtrack. It ties in with the theme because yeah. the soundtrack is campy. The music is, or the film is campy. They tie together. They support each other and in a symbiotic relationship. And I in love that. In their chaos. Exactly. Yeah. I will say, um, we said there were, we talked about a lot of bad reviews about them earlier, but you know who loved this movie? Who? Roger Ebert. And he and I don't agree on much, but I, he, I agree with him on this one. Uh, I'm going to quote from his uh, review here. Ghosts of Mars delivers on its chosen level, and I enjoyed it. But I wonder why so many science fiction films turned into extended exercises in Blast the Aliens. Starship Troopers was another. Why must aliens automatically be violent, angry, aggressive, ugly, mindless, and hostile? How could they develop the technology to preserve their spirits for eons and exhibit no civilized attributes? And for that matter, if Earth creatures came along after, oh, say, 300 million, 300 million years of captivity and set you free, would you be mad at them? These are all questions for another movie. This one does have one original touch. After Melanie is possessed by a ghost, Desolation administers a fix from her stash, and the drug, whatever it is, inspires the alien to get out of her body fast. It is encouraging to learn that the ancient races of our solar system learned to just say no to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like I said, I don't always agree with him, but dude knows how to turn a phrase. True. True. He's a pretty good writer in that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I think our kind of our, our thesis statement here is like, learn how to not take shit too seriously. Which is what John Carpenter's been saying his entire career. It's just movies, y'all. It's just fast photographs. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there 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 are places, there are homes for everything. You know, you've yeah. got your cerebral films, and if you're in, in the mood to watch that, then be my guest. Like I've said many times, I'm a huge fan of Terrence Malick. 
Yeah. But I'm also a huge fan of John Carpenter. Couldn't be more diametrically opposed filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always going to be rooting for the people who are just going to push the envelope and do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and challenge us to look at films in a different way and, and the correlation between music and films in a different way. How, you know, it can it can be supportive without even having any peaks and valleys. If the movie doesn't have any peaks and valleys, why would you... You know, like, yeah. what I like about this movie is that it was clearly intentional. It wasn't just this kind of, like... This is where it's not a failure to me, where it, it it wasn't mismatched in any way. It wasn't like he was trying to do something and it failed. He did exactly what he set out to do. That's, that's why I quoted that Ebert um, article. And to me, that's a success. Yeah. Whether it was received well or, or not, like, I, I totally get why he was like, okay, fuck y'all. Yeah. I'm out. Fuck like, this shit, I'm out. You don't deserve my gifts. I'm taking the ball and I'm going home. Seriously. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I think that this is just such a I, when we're talking about like in Car- like Carpenter's always intentional. We've talked about that. We talked about that for an entire month last year about how he is a meticulous and intentional filmmaker to the point that during Halloween he grabbed the camera because the guy wasn't carrying it right and yeah. said, "Fuck it, I'll do it myself." Which is why you can see cigarette smoke in that movie because John Carpenter's never not smoking. Yeah, <laughs> him and David Lynch. <laughs> Correct. So yeah, I I love the, the how anybody could have thought this was a mistake is beyond yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he's ever made a mistake. Yeah, everything's very intentional with mm-hmm. him. That's yeah, that's that's my like final note on the movie. Awesome. Well, in that case, you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a website, horrorbabespod.com. If you're enjoying us, feel free to give us a nice little rating and review on iTunes or tell your friends to listen to us if you have any other horror nerds in your lives. And until next time, bye, bye babes. Yeah, babe.